Good morning, Lifestyle is Healthers. Hi to my podcast listeners and to YouTube. So it's Vicky Midford here, the Alcohol Addiction and Disordered Eating Eliminator. And I have not got a guest today. So what I thought I would do is uh, tell you a little bit about my story. Some of you have heard bits of it. Some of you might have heard all of it. So I'm not sure who's heard what, but um, let me kind of tell you a little bit about why I do what I do, because I did post something on, on LinkedIn this morning, and uh, I think it gave people a bit of a an eye-opener as to as to just what I'd gone through, um, and, and I want to share it with you. So why do I even do what I do now? Um, very simply, because disordered eating, specifically bulimia and, and binge eating, was my story and my bulimia was was kind of morphed into anorexia at, at one point and as I came out the other side of that it very much went into into binge eating and I wanted to kind of tell you a little bit about my background and my history because so many people who have issues with food it's definitely linked to what goes on in your childhood and hindsight is an amazing thing I and mean, we have no idea about what is going on at the time because when we're kids we just think that whatever we're going through whatever is happening in our homes is kind of what happens in other people's homes too it's just pretty normal um we understand that there are rules and there are and there are kind of things that you have to do when you're at school and that kind of follows through at home well that was my experience and there were definitely expectations that I felt and it's important that I'm using the word felt because it's not necessarily true that there were the expectations that I interpreted um, them to be but there was a, a lot of pressure I felt put on what was expected of of me and of my brother um, and in hindsight, was that true? Not necessarily not. It was definitely my interpretation. But what I understood from the way that my, my dad spoke in particular was that he didn't suffer fools gladly. He didn't uh, understand if somebody couldn't understand him or didn't get what he was talking about. In his words, they were blithering idiots, uh, buffoons barn pots if they had different opinions so he, he was very much uh, a black and white thinker and believed that what he thought was correct the way he did things was correct now obviously as you get into being adults and you get older and, and when he was much much older we've had these conversations and uh, he's no longer with us but you know he realizes that he, he got it so wrong but nobody gives you a handbook for growing up no one gives you a handbook for being an adult or definitely for being a parent that's for sure so we can only come out with stuff that we've heard before seen before and that's obviously kind of the background that he was brought in there were a lot of expectations to do well at school uh, and you know even at infant school I always felt that I needed to be better than now that was a feeling and that was something that I interpreted from what was happening in my home right, that I believed in my head, I needed to be faster at sports, I needed to be quicker at getting through tests, I needed to be the top of the class if it came to, you know, doing something like multiplication tables, I'm talking at infant school here, um, and what I do remember is that, you know, there was a lot of turmoil going on at home, because my mum had issues with, uh, with depression and with 
odd behavior. And it wasn't so much when I, I was at Info School, to be honest, I can't remember it. It came more to a head when, when we were at secondary school that I can remember. But when I look back, did my issues with food start when I was a little kid? Yeah, they absolutely did. And do I now suspect that it had a massive uh, amount to do with me having my tonsils out and a lot of sore throats and tonsillitis prior to that and hence a lot of antibiotics? Absolutely, there is a huge link. Um, but back then, nobody knew that that gut bacteria imbalance could cause serious disorders when it came to food. I now know that that was when it all kicked off and I started to eat the wrong kinds of foods and became in my own little head then as a kid addicted to them. Once I started eating crisps, I couldn't stop. Once I started eating sweets and sugary food, I couldn't stop. Now, obviously, if those were the foods that I was eating after I'd had my tonsils out and my pretty much all of my gut microbes had been wiped out with the amount of antibiotics I'd been on over the years for recurring tonsillitis, Plus the anaesthetic, you know, my gut microbiome was shot and suddenly here I was feeding it crap, which meant that all of the gut bacteria that love those foods um, would have been proliferating. And of course, there was a growing body. So the genes and the receptors will have been affected for my hormones and what have you. And I, I now understand why. It's pretty, it's kind of, it was good. It was likely to be on the cards, if not 100%, but pretty much 95% because of that. And, you know, had I been, you know, chosen to eat more vegetable based foods and not been allowed to have so much of the, of the crap and the junk, would it have been a different story? Quite possibly. Of course, I'll never know. So what I do know is that even back then, I used to look at my mum uh, in not a great light because I couldn't understand why she didn't seem to be doing the stuff that I thought my dad wanted her to do in terms of looking after the house. She found housework and doing all of that mundane stuff a bit of a struggle. She chose to leave work to have kids, but after me, she suffered from postnatal depression. And back then, you know, it, it so wasn't as well um, kind of recognised as it is now. And I know if anybody's listening, I still think it, it people really struggle to get a postnatal depression diagnosis and and even if you have got a diagnosis well okay you've got a diagnosis and now what it's managing it that's kind of the key and you're not necessarily given the tools or the help that you need to do that and and I know that my mum certainly wasn't she was given medication to help her to sleep I was taken away from her uh, my grandma looked after me very early on because my mum was 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 really quite bad and she needed to go back into hospital so that's how bad her depression was then and um that meant that and there is a link now between uh, children being separated from parents early on uh, if any of you are interested in doing some research if you have a look at um oh, his name's gone matty It'll come to me. Um, I'll put the link in in the, the chat above. Um, I was listening to it the other day. Um, it's just completely gone. But that's the side effect. As and I will just digress, as you know that I do. The fact that my short term memory is so short is because of my issues with food, the damage that I've done to my gut, and the the fact that I was so addicted to alcohol. It kills your brain cells. And you might have seen the post that I put on the research that's now been done that is actually showing that it does actually destroy white and grey matter. So uh, yeah, my brain's been pretty much annihilated by my by my drinking. And I'll I'll briefly touch on that. 
So my issues with food began, you know, when I was five and six years old and, and I was I was literally helping myself to chocolate bars and, and penny chews and sweets from our shop. So our scenario at home was that, that my dad had a, a shop. He was a greengrocer by trade initially, but he was a driven person. Hence, you understand maybe what I've said before, expectations to do well and push yourself. He was definitely a workaholic. Um, that's all he knew. And he believed that the harder you work, the better your results. Very much that was the message that I got so I didn't see a lot of him but he had 10 green grocery shops and then he he expanded and, and one became what we now know as a supermarket before kind of you know private and local supermarkets were even a thing there was just the corner shop really uh, and that was kind of it but he started uh, this store and and our dining room actually opened into the back counter where the tills were of the shop where they had all of the cigarettes and where they had all of the alcohol and they also had all of the sweets including penny sweets and so I would sneak in there and I would help myself to um, mojos I don't remember those mojos that you used to get was it four for a penny right two for half p in the days when half p was a thing those of you who are who are younger than me you won't even know what I'm talking about half p but some of you will um and so I would I would literally help myself and I would then put them in a little bag I remember the old little white paper bags we used to get a 10p mix-up I would make up my own 10p mix-up at sort of seven eight years old and I would take them to school and I would share them with my friends was it a way of me being liked even back then did I have this kind of people pleasing desire that I needed to be liked yeah absolutely I did because by that point I was already getting into be a chupster so you know I would hear terms like oh she's stocky oh she's well built um she's sturdy all of those things and I'm laughing now but you know when you keep hearing that and you look at your friends around you and a lot of my friends at that time were, were naturally very very skinny just really thin-limbed thin rib caged people and and I wasn't I was broad I was a big glass and you know I was literally was built exactly when I look at my dad and his shape I was exactly as the female version of him shape wise and um and so I knew I was different. So in my head, I also I had very ginger hair and I had freckles, which no one else did. So I kind of was different, but I wanted to be liked and I wanted to be the same. And of course I wasn't, but I tried my best to give people stuff. And that was the story that went through my life. I used to bend over backwards to give, give, give. And it's something that, you know, I kind of do, I have done a lot of work on it, but I do still struggle now because, um, I'm very much a believer of, of what you give out, you will get back, power of the universe. I absolutely do believe that. But I tend to just overgive to the point where it's detrimental to me. But there's a part of me that has an expectation that I'll get something back. And especially when I was little, I don't have that now because I understand that it don't work like that. But when I was little, I wanted something back. There was always a payoff. And that's classic people pleasing. We think we're being nice, but what we're after really is the payoff. You know, even if it's people being your friend or inviting them to inviting you to their house for tea, whatever it happens to be, there's a payoff somewhere. Um, or them saying nice things about you to somebody else. You are looking for that validation and and just something to make you feel better and that's what people pleasers do. Um, and I, I've already done a, a podcast on people pleasing but ultimately it's selfish we do it because we want something um 
so that was that was how I grew up and and I would steal chocolate bars and I remember very clearly you know we were we had a an event coming up and it got rained off and we got all we were supplying all of the sweets and the chocolate for the stall um that was there and and those boxes stayed in our um dining room and of course we didn't go to the event because it didn't happen and so I remember sneaking downstairs and opening a brand new box of milky bars and just taking like 10 or 12 bars and hiding them under my bed um, and literally sneaking them in the night to eat them and of course I got into serious trouble because I got found out and it was like why are you stealing and what if you wanted it you could have had it you could have asked for it and all that kind of stuff the answer was I didn't know I actually did not know why I was doing it. I had no clue. There was that compulsion and that and that desire to have that chocolate and I needed it now, even back then as young as seven. Now, of course, I didn't twig then that that was contributing to my body shape and my body size and why I had a little belly. But I knew that when I went to ballet class, I didn't like what I saw in the mirror when I compared my tummy to the tummies of the other girls there, my thighs touched, right, and squashed together at the top. And a lot of these um, girls in there had literally you know, legs that there was no touching, there was no nothing. Um, and you could see their hip bones at the front. And I was just fascinated because I, I was just like, well, why can't I see mine? What's going, why am I different? So I already knew that I was different, even from that young age. There's no surprise, is it, that when I finally got to secondary school and then there's so much more comparison I was quite young um just the way that my birthday fell so I ended up going to secondary school at 10 I was one of the youngest in my in my year and I went to private secondary school and I only just got in and that was another kind of thing for me that was a that was a pressure my brother went to the same school that my dad went to he was insistent that he wanted to, my, my brother to go my brother was not as academically uh with it as perhaps I was so there was already some comparison going on there between brother and sister but he thought that going to that school having the same teachers and they were all still there believe it or not having the same teachers he did would help to lift him up and kind of give him in, in my dad's eyes the discipline and and the push that he needed didn't actually work out that way for my brother really struggled through school but he made some great friends but my mum absolutely insisted that if he went to that school then I should also go and from a financial point of view paying out two lots of private school fees is a big difference to just paying out one so there was an expectation already for me to get a scholarship now I didn't I got a partial one I didn't get a full one um, and I remember already that really kind of reinforced this nugget this idea in my head that I just wasn't bright enough I wasn't good enough um and I'd let the family down and my my dad was disappointed in me everybody was disappointed in me and now I was costing him more money uh, and that was you know something that I carried with me a lot and I really felt so guilty about it to the extent that in my head my the only way that I could make up for it was to somehow prove that I wasn't stupid that I was more intelligent and that it was just the questions on the exam not that it would make any difference to the amount of money that they had to pay out or anything like that but in my head I was like, well, if I can be top of the class and if I can show him, you know, that it is worth him him paying the fees because I am bright and I am going to do well. And so I put that pressure on myself to achieve. Um, and I remember getting, you know, the first test results and, and, I, and I 
when I came top of the class in, in I think it was English or maths one or the other and I expected some kind of you know well done and it was just like great it's like whoa there was nothing more there was no I was waiting for there's some kind of you know well done you isn't that fantastic I didn't get it I just didn't get it and so this exacerbated my feelings of less than not good enough um, and I remember listening to what my dad said because as kids we pick up everything do we and when he was watching um like sports and stuff on tv the olympics and I'm trying to think what year it must have been 70s obviously it would have been I was born in 1969 so it would have been in the 70s and I remember him saying things like oh nobody ever remembers who comes second people remember the winner and that's in my head and yeah I'm digressing again but this is one of the important things as a parent to remember we may glibly make comments about other people or about programs or just you know what we're reading on the news or what have you and we don't necessarily realize the power of just these kind of almost throwaway comments that we come out with can have on our kids because obviously my dad doesn't remember saying that Right, it's just something that he came out with at that time. And to be fair, there's an element of truth to it. You know, most of us can remember who who won the marathon, but most of us cannot remember who came second. Same with uh, something like the X Factor, unless they do extraordinarily well, like some of the um, artists that we've that we've seen over the years. But usually, you remember the winner, and you don't remember who came second. So that did stick with me, and so it was like. Being first, being top of the class is the only thing that's acceptable. So there's immense pressure that I put upon myself. And little did I know then that that was fueling me turning to more of those comfort foods. Um, and here's the kind of the craziness of, of, of how it went. You know, my, my dad couldn't handle my mum's depression very well. He was he was quite violent physically at times because he just couldn't handle it. And obviously the, there was an element of my childhood where I was walking on eggshells quite a lot because you just didn't quite know I didn't quite know how mum was going to be and if I needed to protect her and and oftentimes I would do the ironing and I would do the cleaning um because I didn't want her to get into trouble for not doing it because I didn't want it to be another reason for there to be another argument or any kind of upset because I didn't handle it well so it, I was trying to protect my mum um and I was trying to study and I was trying to be the the good you know, daughter and sort of do what I was supposed to do. But on a friendship point of view in secondary school, I struggled outside of school. I didn't really have friends. We moved house. Um, but I did, ha I did have two really close friends in school. And of course, they were both much thinner than me. Um, naturally so. But did I compare? Oh, my God, big time. And I couldn't fathom out how they could eat the amount of food that they ate and not put on weight. But one of them loved running absolutely loved running and I kind of wished that I could love running so I used to try to run and that was one of the first things that got me on the craziness of being addicted to exercise and starting uh, on on the dieting the whole dieting rigmarole and roundabout because um, we discovered the F-Plan diet it was in at the time and everybody decided that they were going to start following it including me except I couldn't seem to follow it. I just couldn't seem to do it and I didn't know what was wrong with me. In came those feelings again of not good enough and the whole kind of merry-go-round of the stories in my head telling myself I wasn't good enough, I wasn't thin enough, I wasn't intelligent enough. Um, <clears throat> did it start to affect my test results? Yes, I started to be third or even fourth in some, you know, we used to have tests all the time every year 
we'd have tests to get us ready for the O levels. Uh, usually twice a year, if I if I recall. I think you know there was kind of winter and summer uh, exams, and and I was getting you know third and fourth, and one of my best friends. There was almost like this kind of I loved my best friend, but we were also in competition with each other because we we both wanted to be topping things, and and often you know she'd be topping one and I'd be second, and then I'd be top and she'd be second, and it was and I wanted to be as good as her at running, so I started to push myself and push myself and push myself to be a good runner and. For anybody who is redhead with very pale skin, you know what happens when you go running? You look like a beetroot. So, so if you're running in shorts and my legs would be bright pink and my face would be literally like a beetroot. And again, I would look around and just feel so awkward and so different. And don't get me started on communal showers after sport because that was just painful um, and the reason that I wanted to share this, this kind of early stuff with you is because you kind of go through this but you don't realize that all of those little things that I've spoken about these are all of the traumas that stick with us that we carry through that give us an idea of who we are or who we're meant to be of what the expectations are of us from family and from from teachers and just kind of the friends that we migrate towards, you know, did, did I migrate towards those naturally slim people because there was something for me to aspire to? Quite possibly, yes, because there were bigger people in my in my class and but I didn't I didn't kind of gel with them. I didn't migrate towards those people. So when you look back on it, it's, it's interesting how our history has brought us to, to where we are now. But the, the main reason for me wanted to share this is because also I've posted in LinkedIn and, and in this group and uh, on my own personal page today about ADHD and autism. And I know that we know that the incidence of diagnosed ADHD and autism is increasing. Is it actually increasing more than it ever was? Or is it just that we're better at diagnosing it? I don't know is the answer to that. But what I do know is that the medical profession, and you've heard me say this before, are not trained in nutrition and they don't understand the links between nutrition and, and mental health and brain function and neurotransmitters and anxiety and all of that sort of stuff. They just don't, they're not trained and it's not their fault. Um, but there is a summit that if any of you have got children or grandchildren or nephews, nieces, whatever, who have got an ADHD uh, diagnosis or an autism diagnosis, and you're wondering if there's any way that you can help uh, to help ease things for yourself if you're a parent or for your, you know, your family if, if you're not, it may be worth you you looking at it because what I didn't understand as a kid, and obviously what my parents didn't understand either, is that what we are giving to our children very much affects how they feel, how they think, how their body functions. And I explained to you about why my issue started after my operation and multiple lots of antibiotics for uh, recurring tonsillitis. And there's no doubt that my gut microbiome at age five um, was was caused caused a major issue um, with what happened with my disordered eating. Did the separation from my mom at an early age have an effect? Gabor, I told you I would remember. <laughs> Gabor Mate is is the person to look for uh, on YouTube. Yes, absolutely, it did. Did the trauma of and living on eggshells and not quite knowing if if my parents going to have an ask, a, a a big argument and blow up? Of course, but 
a lot of it stems from the actual food that I ate and that physical side of things is so important. We can deal with a lot of the emotional stuff and we can help kids with, with, with autism on a practical how to do things differently behavioral point of view. But we need to also look at the physical side of things because it is so important. And for many kids, that is the missing link to them actually feeling so much better in themselves and their behavior improving, not medication. So if you if you are interested in going on it, I have put the post in this group and the link is in the comments for that post. So on that note, I've been twittering on for much longer than I anticipated. It's normally 15 minutes. I think I've been talking for about 25. Um, but I will share a little bit more of my story, perhaps on Monday and you can see where it went from there uh, if you're interested um any comments that you have anything that you want to ask me please do if you want to get in touch with me uh because you suspect that maybe you've got kids who have got problems with their eating or you yourself have struggled for decades and you're feeling guilty or you're feeling ashamed that you're weird around food or you just think you're broken or there's something wrong with your body I can tell you absolutely you are not um there is absolutely going to be a physiological biochemical as well as an emotional and and a mental health aspect reason why um, and I'd be more than delighted to have a conversation with you if you want to speak to me thank you darling and uh, on that note I'm going to say goodbye and have a great Friday and a lovely weekend whatever you get up to it and I'll speak to you really soon bye <laughs>